0: Well, we return to our public scripture reading, which is Psalm 45. And Psalm 45 is, interestingly enough, it is a wedding benediction. In fact, it is a love song. I mean, that's exactly what it says in the title, that it is a love song. Yet the marriage which is being celebrated here is unlike any earthly marriage. Because the subject is the Messiah and his bride. Psalm 45 is, in truth, a messianic psalm. In verses 1 through 9, the greatness and grandeur of Christ is lauded in different ways as our king, and we'll consider four. First, there is his obvious appeal, his obvious appeal. You see this at the very beginning of verse 2, you are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. While in his incarnation preceding glory, Isaiah tells us that Jesus had no beauty that we should desire him. Yet in the splendor of his exalted state, the Lord's beauty is incomparable it is beyond anything that human nature as human nature could ever display furthermore according to this text by his words there is grace that points to and promises the only redemption by which sinners can be justified before God. Second, there is his military success. His military success. Reading verses 3 through 5. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Clearly, this is not bespeaking of Jesus coming in his first advent. Clearly. Clearly. No, this is speaking of his return. And when Christ returns, he does so in his righteousness to judge and make war, as Revelation 19, verse 11 declares. But it is a war wherein the Lord Jesus will be absolutely victorious destroying all his enemies forever. This king, unlike any other king in all of human history, this king will be nothing but victorious. Third, there is his divine character. His divine character. Reading verses 6 and 7. Your throne... O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. What makes Christ incomparable is that he is deity. He is deity. He is God's eternal son whose essence is one with the Father as God, which we will be confessing right after this in the Nicene Creed. And due to his divine nature, the authority of his kingdom, which is his scepter. Okay, you read that? The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. The scepter is authority. The authority of his kingdom is uprightness which is seen by the fact that he loves righteousness and hates wickedness. He loves righteousness and hates wickedness. Now, I'll pause here one moment under this particular point in the psalm to get you to be thinking about something because obviously all the focus here, all of the central focus here is all on God's eternal son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Not about you, it's him. We are boasting, we are bragging all on him. All on him. But I do want you to think about this as an application to yourself as one of his followers. A tangible evidence that we really are authentic followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, authentic followers of the King of all kings, is that In us, as his people, there will be, not that there should be, but there will be, a growing, progressive love for righteousness and hatred for wickedness. There will be that in your heart, in your soul, in your life, if you truly belong to Christ. Now note that I said growing, growing, because our sanctification preceding glory is never perfected, right? It's always in a process, always, it's in a process of growth, of maturing. But certainly, without question, as the scripture testifies, when we do read directly of our sanctification there is going to be a growing love for righteousness and a growing hatred for wickedness. But here's one way to test yourself as to the measure of that growth in your own life. When it comes to when it comes to the growth of righteousness and wickedness in your life as a child of God, how much, how much are you loving righteousness for the outworking of your own personal life where, in other words, You want to be more holy. You want to be more righteous. You want to be more godly. You want to be this. You want this. And when it comes to your hatred of wickedness, how much are you hating more and more the wickedness in your own life? Your own personal sins. You see, this is where it gets convicting. Because it's so easy for us to point our finger at everybody else and their sins and their wickedness. It's so easy. That is so easy for us to do. To point our finger at everybody else and say, look how wicked they are and how sinful they are. But my dear friend, that's not where you start. You start with yourself. You start with the wickedness, with the sinfulness that remains in you. How much of that do you see? Can you confess with Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, O wretched man that I am, about yourself? Because you see in yourself that the good you will to do, you do not. The evil you hate, that you do. Do you really see that about yourself? Do you understand that about yourself? So here is a good test. Of how much we're really growing. How much we're really maturing in our personal sanctification. How much am I really loving righteousness. Holiness. Godliness. For myself. I want to be more of that. And less and less. Of the sinfulness that remains the corruption that is still there so that's for personal application the last thing that we see here is his impressive splendor which is in verses 8 and 9 your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of ophir. When you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, when you ponder your Savior, your Redeemer, Have you ever thought of him? Have you ever pondered him in the words of Psalm 45? When you think of Christ. Because again, this is who Psalm 45 is describing. This is who Psalm 45 is really about. Because no mere earthly king of the flesh fits that at all. And, of course, when you get to verses 6 and 7, then, well, it's a given. Okay, we know who we're talking about. Really who we're talking about. And I wonder, saying this at the very end, did you know that verses 6 and 7 of Psalm 45 is actually repeated in the New Testament? And do you know where in the New Testament it's repeated? It's repeated in the book of Hebrews in chapter 1 in chapter 1 of the book of hebrews remembering that the great theme of the entire book of hebrews is that jesus is better than he's better than okay and in the first chapter of hebrews well he is better than the angels He's better than the angels. Well, one of the arguments, one of the divine-inspired cases made for this, you see in verses 8 and 9, But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you Would the oil of gladness be on your companions? That's even more definitive of who we're talking about in Psalm 45. The Lord, the Lord Jesus, the Christ of the Son of God, the Christ of the living God who is God's eternal Son. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we do exalt you. We praise you, our great King, our eternal King, our sovereign Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for everything you accomplished, everything you achieved and pro- procured in our behalf 2,000 years ago by your life, your death, your resurrection and even with your ascension as you are seated at the right hand of the Father interceding even now for us your saints but we exalt you today O Lord in the great splendor of your majesty and your righteousness. Indeed, we do say with the psalmist in Psalm 45 that there is none among the sons of men that are more handsome than you. Grace is poured upon your lips. You are victorious in all that you do in all that you will do for what is coming at your return and how with great anticipation we look so forward to that Lord Jesus when you will vanquish your foes when you will usher in the new heavens and the new earth And when you will gather us all, your redeemed people, together as one, to worship our great eternal God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And Lord Jesus, we are very convicted as your people, preceding glory of the sin that remains and the inconsistencies of the process of our own personal sanctification, as we behold the great fact that you love righteousness and hate wickedness, and and yet we see in our own personal lives how many times there is not that clear consistency in us as your followers, as your servants. And we ask your forgiveness for that. And we pray for a furtherance of our own personal growth, growing to love righteousness more and more, and hating wickedness more and more, and most especially in our own lives we plead with you lord for greater growth by the working of the indwelling spirit for we know that the great end of such sanctified growth is the perfection the perfection that is coming of where we will be perfected in your glorious image jesus our lord And we do anticipate that with a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. In your name, for your honor, for your glory, these things we pray, amen and amen.